the announcements for this evening. Now, I will tell you, last time I did not finish. I attempted to. I tried really hard. I did everything I could. We did not finish the book of Hebrews, so we are going to do that tonight. I think it's very important because there are a couple of verses here that are uh, monumental to the book of Hebrews, and, and so we certainly don't want to leave those unattended uh, as we study his word, and so we are going to finish that up. Next week we will be beginning the book of Daniel. I want to clarify something for you, and, and, and this is, I, I want to make this statement as a, as a general one, and, and it, it is in regards, when you hear me say things like, uh, you know, the Lutheran Church or the Baptist Church or the Episcopalians or Calvary Chapel, for that matter, um, have a group of, and then I go on to explain some aberrant doctrine or where they're veering from the truth or denying the inerrancy of Scripture, those kinds of things. Of course, and I think I made this relatively clear, but it was brought to my attention that maybe I didn't the last time we were together, and, and I want to really apologize for that. certainly not my intent. Uh, there are millions of wonderful, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing, Christ-preaching uh, Christians that are in all kinds of different denominational churches, and, and so my intent is never uh, to make a generality so broad that it draws in every Lutheran. And so I should make sure that I draw attention to groups like the Evangelical Church, Lutheran Church in America, which has some very aberrant doctrine. But in a general sense, when I say things like that, I'm not trying to draw simple attention to a specific group of people but rather to the general sense that in America, it, where we used to have solid Bible-teaching churches in virtually every major evangelical Christian denomination, we have major Christian denominations that as a whole are denouncing the inerrancy of Scripture, the Word of God, the truth that's taught in it. And so when I say those things, if you happen to have a background, and maybe you came from a Presbyterian background, I came from a Baptist background, and I can say the same thing about some, some Baptist groups. There are some Baptist groups that have gone very sideways. Um, please don't take offense to that in a general sense. I'm merely trying to say that just because you go to a specific church, it doesn't necessarily mean, and that could include a Calvary Chapel or two. I'm unaware of any that have left the faith, so to speak, and are teaching aberrant doctrine. And if we were to find out about them, they would lose their Calvary affiliation like that. It would happen overnight, uh, but, but we have to be aware in our world because we are going to be confronted in this election cycle like we have never been confronted before with the difference between biblical truth and heresy. And so I am going to draw attention to those things. It's my job as a pastor. Uh, I would be a lousy under-shepherd uh, if I didn't denounce loudly things that are anti-God. And so I must do that when we come to those passages of Scripture. And so I don't intend to alienate anyone. It's not my uh, joy to, to make those distinctions. But when I have someone that comes to me and they say, hey, I belong to this group, that really doesn't mean a thing. Does that group preach Christ crucified? Does that group believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Does that group teach God's Word cover to cover and believe that it's inspired in its entirety and its truth? Those are the distinctions we need to make because that's where we get our truth from. 
And I'm going to draw some attention in the next two studies tonight and one and on Sunday. Because there are some issues that we're facing right now that you need to know what your Bible teaches. And, and if you draw your conclusions from your Bible and not from the court of public opinion and not from what the evangelical council of churches says and not from any specific group of Christians, but from what your Bible says, you're going to come up with the right answer. If you don't, you're going to be swayed by the public opinion and you're probably going to make some serious mistakes because we're about to elect a president that will preside over the either finishing off of the liberalization of the Supreme Court or the one who will set the stage to keep it in a constitutional sense in a conservative vein. And if that happens... Be, be ready for gay marriage to become uh, a national mandate. Be ready for churches to lose their tax-exempt status. Be ready for your kids, as was passed yesterday in the Senate here in this state, a bill that says your parents, most of you in here as I look around the room, you bring your child into a counselor because your son or your daughter has come home at 13 years old and said, hey, I think I'm homosexual. You realize that it passed in the Senate yesterday in this state a bill mandating that it is a crime to offer counseling to that child to dissuade them from being a homosexual if they're under 18 years old. Those are the national things that are coming. Those will become national laws. And so if the church doesn't wake up, and if the church doesn't stand up, And if the church doesn't stand for what God's word stands for, we are in deep trouble. And that's why I make these distinctions. I want you to be armed with the truth. I don't want you to to get engaged in a conversation with somebody. And just because it seems right, well, you know, it seems all inclusive and tolerant. So let's just accept these things. It's just easier. You can't. If we're truly saved by the blood of the Lamb, and we need to do what God's Word says. We need to stand for what He stands for. And I pray that that's not too terribly offensive to any of you. Uh, if it is and you want to talk to me privately, please feel free to do so. But this is a church. I'm a pastor. We teach God's Word. And I'm going to teach it without compromise. Let's pray. Father God, we we do. We truly just simply want to stand for You. Lord, we live in an age when everything about You is being questioned. Lord, Your very existence is being questioned in Christian churches. Lord, are You just a thought? God, we believe that You're you're, you're Yahweh, Lord of hosts. That You're the God who created the heavens and the earth. That you're the God that provides for all that we have need of. That you're our very breath of life. That you're the substance of who we are. And Lord, because of that, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, we believe that you authored it by your Holy Spirit through names they wrote it down. And so, Lord, we honor you by studying it. We remember that you want to speak to us. And your chief way to do that is your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do just that very thing, Lord. Take this time and plant your word deeply in our hearts. Lord, that as David said, we might not sin against you. 
But more importantly, that we ought to know how we should live, Lord, in these days. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Verse 18, Hebrews chapter 13, as we finish the book of Hebrews. Now, if you remember when we started this, I said clearly, I do not know who authored the book of Hebrews. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that it is Paul. The strongest evidence for Pauline authorship comes from these last several verses. But for me, it's just simply not enough. I don't know. And I'm not sure that it matters because ultimately all of the human authors, be they Paul or Timothy or Peter or you know whoever you want to talk to about the Gospels, it wouldn't matter. They were actually authored by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God himself put these words into men's hearts. They were written down. They've been transmitted faithfully uh, for more than 2,000 years. And I believe that we can trust them. Uh, my study of the original manuscripts and every possible tool known to man, and I am blessed to have them, uh, I haven't ever found, and I have looked, I spent a great deal of time looking for the supposed contradictions in scriptures, the things that would be there that would cause me to doubt, and I've never found them. And I made it my aim to try and do so, and, and they aren't there. So I am, I am trusting God to have faithfully transmitted His Word. I believe the internal evidence is sufficient. I believe the external evidence is more than sufficient. I believe the historical evidence is monumental. The manuscript evidence is huge. The prophetic evidence is gigantic. And so I study it as if God himself were speaking to me. So I don't really care whether the author was Paul or Luke or whoever. Don't know. Don't care. It says pray for us. So obviously there's a human author. And I would just simply draw your attention to that statement. When we ask people to pray for us, what is it that we're doing? We are beseeching them to ask the God who created everything to make his will known, to send his resources, his power, his protection, his governance of our lives, his, his oversight of where we live and the governing authorities that we live under. When you ask someone to pray for you, and you mean it, and they mean to do it, you are summoning the greatest power in all of the universe. Don't make light of it. I need your prayers. Can I be blunt? I need them. I don't just want them. I need them. I myself, my family, my children, this church our community, the state, our nation, our world needs your prayer. It's often been said, I believe Watchman Nee coined the phrase, they may be able to kill me, but they cannot stop my prayers. You, you may be deaf, dumb, and blind tomorrow, but you can still pray. And Scripture declares, as James wrote, that the effective, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, which we are righteous, not because of us, but because of the cross of Christ, we are righteous. You have righteousness that's in your account because of Christ. The effective, the fervent prayer 
A righteous man, a righteous woman. That word man translated there means mankind. It means all of us. Not gender specific. Avails much. It means that it draws the resources from heaven and applies them to earth. It avails much. It brings much. Pray for us. For we have, we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. I cannot overstress to you the importance of a good conscience. And here's why I want to say that. Because it is the one thing that you personally have that no one can touch. Can I say to you that very often I get embroiled in discussions with people that don't necessarily go the way they want them to. People say things, they make accusations, they talk about this church, they talk about you, they talk about me, they talk about the camp, they talk about Calvary Chapel, they talk about whatever. Do you know what my defense is, generally speaking? Of course it's the Lord. But in a personal sense, I have a good conscience. I believe with all my heart that I am right before the Lord. And because of that good conscience, because I believe that I have rightly divided the truth, because I have spent time in prayer, because I have spent time preparing the message, because I have read God's word repeatedly, because I've taken it into my heart, because I know the full counsel of God's word, I have confidence to speak those things even in the face of adversity. Someone comes to me and says, well, I disagree with you. I will very often say, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God's Word, because I know what it says. That is confidence. And that's the confidence that the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about. It's biblical confidence. It's confidence that says, I know that I know that God has said. And when you have that kind of confidence, you can speak with authority. Very often people will come and they'll say, well, you know, what do you think about this? Family of God, can I just say to you, it doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters what God has said about it. And if he has spoken to any issue, then I want to communicate to you with that same confidence what God has said. And if I do that, I am passing that confidence to you. Because I have not erred from the truth. I haven't spoken to you what Jeff's opinion is. When someone asks me for my opinion, I will generally say something like, my opinion is worth zip. Nothing. Nada. Isn't going to do you a bit of good. Now, I might have one that's just an opinion. But what we really want to hear is, what does God say? What does God want? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to respond? What is his plan? Writer of Hebrews says, in all things, desiring to live honorably. The word that's translated there honorably means God honoring. It doesn't just mean that men approve of it. It means that God approves of it. Remember that. Because you know what? I'm going to make some of you mad. Now, that's not my intent. I don't sit up late at night going, gee, how I really make them just angry as all get out. I hope I can really make everybody cheese today. You know, I hope that when I get to church, everybody will just... 
grumble and complain. And it's not my goal at all. But I want to have utter confidence before the Lord that I've spoken the truth and that what I say and what I offer to you is honorable. It brings glory to the Lord is another way to look at it. It's honorable. That's where the writer of Hebrews was. Now think of that in the context of the book of Hebrews. Better sacrifice. Better covenant. Better high priest. The old covenant is dead. The new covenant's alive. As he says that, he spoke that with confidence. I am confident of these things. You're no longer under the law. You've been set free from the law. You now are under grace. And that grace has made you free in Christ. And so he speaks that with confidence to Jews. To honor the Lord. Now, I'll tell you what I would have been tempted to do early in my Christian walk. Oh, man, they've been in religion for a long time. I mean, who am I to disagree with them? After all, I mean, they have Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. and I mean, they have the oldest religious system on earth. You see, you can get dissuaded from confidence by sheer numbers. Where does that play into our world today? Look at what's going on in our world today with regard to our nation and our state. Well, you know, after all, I mean, they've been politicians for a long time. And I mean, they know better. I mean, shouldn't they know how to assemble laws in Jesus name? No, they don't. And they're not sitting around going, man, what does God's word say? You guys know what God's word says, and that should translate to the voting booth. And that's just one area that we can look at, and we will in a few minutes. I want to honor the Lord in everything. Now, am I successful every day? And every No, I'm not. And probably none of you are either. But that absolutely should be our goal. It should be what we're shooting for. I want to have a great conscience. I want to live my life according to God's Word. I want Him to be pleased. Verse 19. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. You see what he's saying is, is that you could send money. You could send a team. Uh, you might start a club. You could get a little social effort going on. You could start an ISP. You might even put a new social network together called Parchments for People. You could do all kinds of things. You could invest your time, your talent, your treasures, your resources, everything about you in a lot of different ways. He says, but I especially urge you to do this. Pray for us. If there's anything you can do for me, pray for me. If you don't know what to do, pray for me. Pray. And when you've gotten done praying, pray some more. Notice what he says, with confidence. That I might be restored to you sooner. You can send all the emissaries in the world. You can send a ship. Do all kinds of stuff. But really the best thing you can do is pray. Family of God, your prayer life should not be the court of last resort. 
it should be option number one and option number ten. And everything in between. And even when you're doing, you should be praying. Even when you're out and about and you've got your hands to the plow and you are doing what you should because we're supposed to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Amen? That's true as well. But while you're doing, are you praying? While you're thinking, are you praying? When, you, when you're looking for God's answers, are you praying? I know a lot of people whose prayer life is, oh, God, help. And they figure, that's it. I asked, he hasn't answered, probably doesn't care. I think a lot of times the reason we don't get answers to our pray, prayers is because they're hollow. They're rather meaningless. I know mine can be at times. I can't tell you how many times that I, I, I look back on my own prayer life and go, wow, I didn't spend anywhere near enough time praying about that. And I wonder why the result wasn't very good. And it begins the doxology that is actually used in, a lot of times in church. And now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There is not a more powerful grouping of words to summon the totality of who Christ is to us and through us than these words. I don't know of a specific passage in Scripture that's any more powerful than these with that regard. God of peace. Now, aren't you glad He's the God of peace? He's not just the God of wrath. He's not just the God of justice and judgment. He's not just holy. He is the God of peace. Matter of fact, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He may also be the Great I Am, but He's the Prince of Peace. He's the God of peace. And without Him, there is no peace. And apart from Him, you won't have true peace or everlasting peace. What an amazing statement this is. And that God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead, God so desired your peace with Him, He had to satisfy His own wrath and penalty for sin. You ever thought about that? God had to take care of the issue of our rebellion against Him. And the choice was this. Punish you, punish me, or punish Jesus. And what He chose to do was put His own Son to death. But praise God, because the goal was peace, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He was raised, and He became the firstborn of the dead. And because of that, so you too shall be raised. To take your last breath here is to open your eyes in heaven. Hallelujah. What a glorious promise it is. That great shepherd of the sheep. Have you ever thought about yourself as a sheep? I have. I've spent enough time around real sheep to tell you sheep are the dumbest, stinkiest, most unruly, gnarliest, vile animals. I mean, they're just gross. 
They are. They're gross. They're, they're dumb as bricks. Sheep are so dumb that if they roll over on their back, they don't even necessarily know how to get back to their own feet. That's how dumb they are. If they get in water that's too deep, rather than walk out of it, they just sit there and bleat, get tired, lay down and die. That's why they don't do well in anything other than basically semi-arid or arid places. They're standing water, hey, what's that? Sheep are dumb. But there's an interesting thing about sheep, and I want to share it with you. It's one of the things that we use at the Patmos Discipleship School as one of our challenges. One of the challenges is that during one of the weeks, the students at Patmos actually get their own real sheep. A real sheep. And they are stinky. But there's a crazy thing about sheep they can detect a voice. And if you spend time with the sheep, and you talk to the sheep, the graduation at the end of the week is, you put all the sheep in a pen, and you call your sheep, and if you have spent time with the sheep, the sheep will follow you. If you have not spent time with the sheep, if you've been a lousy shepherd, the sheep won't follow you. He is the great shepherd. He hangs around with us stinky, rebellious, dumb, self-loathing sheep. And he spends time with us and he talks to us. And we know his voice. When Jesus said, I am the great shepherd, John 10, that's what he was getting at. He's going, I love you so much, even though you stink, even though you can't find your way out of a body of water, even if you roll on your back and you're too dumb to flip over, I'm going to keep talking to you because I love you. And when you hear my voice, you're going to follow me. The great shepherd of the sheep. I encourage you sometimes. You're driving down the 215, you know how every once in a while they'll have the big herds of sheep out there? Stop on the side of the road. Get off the shoulder. Don't park illegally lest Adam get mad at me. Pull all the way off the road, out of the right-of-way, and watch those sheep. And then think about how much God loves you. Because I'll tell you, if you're out there in the summer, it isn't going to be a pretty smell. And you're going to watch them. They're going to all be over there. Like one will run into a fence, and they all just pile right into the fence, one right after another. Like, oh, look what he's doing. It's like a sheep wreck. And the great shepherds cry, oh, I love you. Follow me. And I'd be looking at them sheep. <laughs> you go to shear them. And you realize if you don't, sheep's fur continues to grow. And if you've ever seen like Norwegian sheep, you know, sheep that are unsheared, unshorn as it's called, their fur will grow so long that they will trip over their own fur and fall over and not be able to get up. So it's actually kind of beneficial that they get shorn. And, and in the summer, it's really beneficial because it kind of feels like good. 
But you go to shear them, which is good for them, and they bite you. It's just like... And God's to say, I love them. I love my sheep. They bite me. They stink. They can't find their way home. But the great shepherd of the sheep loves you. And he calls out and you hear his voice and you follow. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Don't you love that? Because you see, the old covenant was not everlasting. Matter of fact, it was to a very specific group of people. And it was only as good as they kept it. It laid with them. Aren't you glad the new covenant isn't on you? By grace you've been saved. Through faith. Praise you, Jesus. Amen? Because if it was on you, don't forget who you are. Dumb, furry, stinky sheep running into fence. It's like a Native American name, I think. Dumb, stinky sheep running into fence. That's what my name would be if I had a Native American name. You can just see it. It's like one sheep after another. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He didn't just call once. He didn't just call twice. He keeps calling. And even when you mess up, He keeps calling. I'm over here. Went into another mud hole. Another patch of cockle burrs. My aunt had sheep. She lives in Ramona. Which if you know about San Diego County and Ramona, it's up kind of in the foothills of the Laguna Mountains. And, and where she lives, the whole bottom of the creek bottom that comes from Julian that runs right through her property, she's got a couple of little lakes on it. And the sheep love to get down near the water because they like the mud for some reason. But there's also, if you've ever seen them, cockle burrs down there. Now, I don't know if you know about cockleburs, but they are God's Velcro. They're, they're impossible to get out of most anything. And if you've ever had them in your garments, it's easier to throw the clothes away, really. And the sheep will go down there and they'll get in the cockleburs. They'll just roam right through it. They're no good to eat. Matter of fact, cockleburr bushes are poisonous to sheep. And they'll crawl through them and they'd come back. And my aunt would look at these sheep and they literally would just be like a cockleburr sheep. Just completely covered in them. And I'm thinking, I'm not making no everlasting covenant with those dumb cockleburr Velcro sheep. It's just like, you know, you guys can't, I, I feed you, I take care of you, I make sure you have water. When you need shots, you get them. And the shepherd's doing all this stuff. And, and he says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you, even though you're so dumb you can't stay out of the cockleburs. Hallelujah. And it's not because they deserve it. And I remember my Aunt Wanda would get out. The, she used the old-fashioned shears, the actual the ones with like a big spring in between them and two blades. Like they would, You could cut your whole hand off with them. Crazy sharp. And she'd sit down there. And if you've ever known how to to take a sheep and shear them, you have to put them between your legs. And they're kicking the whole time. And you put the sheep between your legs and you grab them by the leg and you just start shearing off the the fur. 
And if the sheep is still, and if you can get your foot like right in the right place, they kind of go limp. But if your foot's not there, then they thrash around. And they get all cut up. And then the sheep get all mean and, and not nice because you clipped them. You're trying to help them. God tries to clip us sometimes, amen? We've been going through the cockleburrs, we're running around like human Velcro. We've got junk stuck to us from the world. We come in, I don't know what happened. God gets out the shears, you ain't doing that to me. I'm keeping it. Like my Velcro. And God says to those guys, I love you so much, I want to make an everlasting covenant with you. And no matter how much Velcro, cockleburr stuff you get into... I'll keep clipping it off and it'll grow back and you go out and you get it again and I will love you until the day you die. Thank you, Jesus. The reason I'm sharing this stuff with you is that's, that is what they would have thought of when this was written. That's what they would have had in their head. Really? Are you sheep? Are you kidding? These were the Jews. God's chosen people. Moses spoke to Yahweh, Lord of hosts, on the mountain. They got the Ten Commandments. They're carrying around the ark. We have Aaron's rod that budded and manna in our chest. We're awesome. And God said, now you're just sheep. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. And oh, by the way, the Gentiles get to join too. And they're like, no way! Not them. Anything but the Gentiles. An everlasting covenant. And make you complete in every good work to do His will. That means that the good shepherd grabs the stinky sheep, the rebellious ones, clips them as many times as necessary, indefinitely, for a purpose. He actually has a purpose. He not only loves us and cares for us and wants the very best for us, but he's willing to spend time equipping us so that we can actually do what he's put us here on this earth to do. How awesome is that? Sometimes we don't think of that. We almost have a long-distance relationship with God, like we would maybe somebody we met in school, and they've gone off to their home state, and you're in your home state, and you write a letter every ten years. I'm saying, no, I want input into your life every single day. That's why Ephesians reminds us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Now, what a joy that is to think about. God's not looking at, you know, how messed up you are, or I am, or we are. He's looking at us going, man, those are my sheep. I love my sheep. And I'm always going to love my sheep. And I'm going to invest in them until there's nothing left to invest in. I'm going to keep investing in them. Because i got plans for them. They may not know it, but they're actually beauty sheep. And they're in a contest to tell the rest of the world about how awesome it is to be a sheep. Now sometimes we're kind of the Cockleburg clan. And we don't do such a good job of, of really showing people who our God is. And specifically who our Lord Jesus Christ is. But He keeps spending on us anyway. And He lavishes, lavishes us with gifts. 
And He loves on us endlessly. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. And it's an interesting connotation here. That means that you actually kind of don't want Him to do that at times, but He does it anyway. And you know what? There are times I'm like, oh God, I really, man, I don't deserve it. You ever gotten into that mode to where you just, you're so, you're distant from God? And maybe you spent time and you've been in the cockleburr patch. Maybe you've been in the mud. Maybe you flipped upside down. You're just a mess as a sheep and you're someplace you shouldn't be. And God keeps loving on you anyway. And He has a purpose for you anyway. And He keeps calling you anyway. And He works in you what is well-pleasing to Him even when you don't want it. Hallelujah. Because that's how much He loves us. That's how much He loved the Jewish people. He's sharing with them in His sight. And can I say to you, His sight's not our sight. God's not looking at the outside. He's the discerner of the intents of the heart of man. That's why it's so awesome to think that God loves us often in spite of who we are. Not that He doesn't want us to change. Not that He doesn't have a design and a desire for us to do better. But He will take us just exactly the way we are. With all of our warts and freckles and weaknesses. With, with, even with those habits that need to go. But they're not gone yet. Even with that garbage, that junk. Your fur is so mangled and matted that other sheep look at you and they say, ah, He wants you. Other fake shepherds go, I don't want him, I don't want her. I mean, after all, I mean, look at the mud caked on that one. Can't even find the fur. What good is that sheep? That's not the great shepherd. The great shepherd keeps calling, keeps loving us, keeps washing us up, keeps clipping that stupid fur off that we get tangled in that. Keeps going after us. Scripture is so replete. Think of what Jesus said about the, the one sheep. Will not the good shepherd leave the ninety and nine to go after the one? And I can't tell you how many times in my early walk with the Lord, I was the one. The ninety and nine are over there praising God. They're singing just as I am another time. I'm like, eh, not me. Going over here, God. Wanting part of that. Can't keep my hair and go to that church. I'm keeping my hair and not going to the church. And God keeps calling and keeps loving on us. To whom be glory forever and ever. You see, from God's perspective, you are His glory. Ever think about that? The bride of Christ is the glory of God. You're His most precious possession. Of all the things in the universe, there is exactly one thing that's created in the image and likeness of God. It's mankind. We're His glory. We're His crowning achievement is another way to look at it. Now I can tell you at times I don't feel like the crowning achievement of God. And I'm sure I haven't acted like it at times either. And I'm sure God's looking and going, well, this is a clean up. But in the eternal sense, when God sees you, He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He sees your value in who you are in Him through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. These things would be impossible and they wouldn't be worth it were it not for Jesus. We would just then be the wayward sheep. But we're God's sheep. We're in His sheepfold. He is our good shepherd. And I appeal to you, verse 22 says, brethren, Interesting way to end this letter. And he's going to end it with grace, which is absolutely appropriate. But I want you to notice there's been some strong stuff in the book of Hebrews. Amen? Beware, lest you fall away. Danger, don't drift. Remember some of those warnings? Some of the strongest in the entire Bible are found here in the book of Hebrews. Notice what it says. Bear with the word of exhortation. Why do you think it says that? That strong warning, that exhortation, is because we need it. God doesn't waste or mince words. And when He says it, He means it. And when He gives us a strong exhortation, we're to bear with it. We may not like it. You're hearing your parents, you, you, you've had to exhort your children. You may not have called it, I'm here, I want to exhort you. It's time for an exhortation. I'm going to give you the exhortation. You probably don't do that. But you have given strong encouragement of a difficult kind to receive. You undoubtedly have exhorted your children. Watching this world, I'll take you out. Quote Bill Cosby, I made you, I can make another one just like you. (laughs) Strong exhortation. I think that was on the Fat Albert album, if I remember correctly. (laughs) Yeah, but you've had to give exhortation, haven't you? You've had to tell your kids, look, this is the end of the road. You keep going this way. Something bad's going to happen and you're not going to like it. And immediately the response is, I hate you. Can't believe you would say that to me. You're taking away my Nintendo. I'm going to die. Right now. You know, you, 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 you look at those things and you go, man... I didn't do that to hurt you. I did that because I love you. And I know that road. And if you keep going down that road, where you're going is going to kill you. It may seem like you're going to die from losing your Nintendo. Your Xbox. God forbid your cell phone. There will be no texting for 20 minutes. No! But the intent is to elicit a change that is for the good of the individual exhorted. And when you think of it from that perspective, what kind of father would God be if He didn't exhort us? That's why as we've seen, God chastens those whom He loves. 
God, if He doesn't chasten you, then you're not one of His. Bear with that. Let it do its work. Learn the lesson. Because as it is with our children, what we're hoping is the relationship is restored. There have been times in my life, and I've been far from a perfect father, there have been things that I've said that I wish I hadn't said. But there have been times when I've been dead spot on with those exhortations. And I can tell you as a father, I can't wait for it to be over. I can't wait. I am agonizing over the response. I'm agonizing over the change that will bring the relationship back into the place that it should be. That's exactly how God is. God is agonizing over the exhortation. And He's saying, I don't want to say this, but I have no choice. You're wayward. You keep going the direction you're not supposed to go. And I want you to bear with this word. It says, for I have written to you in few words. You ever notice how a proper exhortation doesn't take a lot of words? It just needs to get to the heart. And that's what God's done here in the book of Hebrews. He said, what I want to be to you, I am the God of peace. I'm the one who brought Jesus up from the dead. I've done everything necessary to save you. I've brought you into that right relationship. I will chase you down as my sheep. I will speak to you as my sheep. If you get dirty, I'll take care of you. I will make you complete for the purpose for which I have called you. I will do all those things to bring glory to my own name. You are my crown. You're the very thing that I want most in all the universe. It's you. Don't you think that a God like that would care about what we do with ourselves? He does. I've written to you with a few words. I know that our brother Timothy has been set free. These last few verses are the ones that most often people will point to where probably Paul wrote it. Paul obviously was intimately well known to Timothy and Timothy to him. And he also goes on to say, or with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. In other words, he's waiting for Timothy. And so we can look at the book of Acts and go, oh, they were together and they were uh, probably together also in Rome. And then it uh, mentions since the only place that we find anything about Italy with regard to Timothy. And greet all those who rule over you and all the saints and those who from Italy greet you. He's saying, you know, in all of these things, in everything that I've said, whatever was God's heart and God's intent, which it sure looks like to me, it was to bring these Jewish Christians into a place that understood God's grace. You see, a lot of people look at the book of Hebrews and go, ah, it's just tough. It's just hard. It's kind of long. I don't really want to hear. I've actually had a couple of people in this church say, "Yeah, I, I don't really. I don't think I'm going to come on Wednesday night. I don't like the Book of Hebrews." Family of God, if I didn't come on the nights when I didn't like what God had to say, it'd be most of them, because I have to preach it to me first. 
I've got to study it myself before you get to hear anything. And most of the time I'm going, oh, okay, I get it. Know where that's going, God. You see, it says, grace be with you all. At the end of this letter, which contains some of the strongest exhortations in all of Scripture, if not the strongest exhortations in all of Scripture, and I would vote for the latter of those two things. I think the strongest, most difficult passages in the entire Bible are all found in the book of Hebrews. For me. This is grace. You see, because that's God's heart. God wants us so badly that He'll chase us to the ends of the earth. God loves us so deeply that He will take us just the way we are. And the methodology whereby He attains that goal is how it works. It's grace. He pours out grace on us. His unmerited favor. His riches heaped upon us at Christ's expense. When you think about Jesus as the Good Shepherd, you can also pull out the, the picture of the vineyard and the vine dresser. You can look at all of the things that, that Scripture declares about God's relationship with Jesus the Son and recognize what it costs God the Father to keep chasing us. Keep hunting us down. You know, you look around and we, we've got a cat that just simply will not stay indoors. She's, she's like a fearsome beast. Not this big. She's deaf on four paws to gophers. And you know what? If you ever want to chase that cat down, be prepared to spend the whole day. She can outrun you. She can get places you can't go. Do all kinds of crazy stuff. I think she's invisible part of the time. She's like a stealth cat. We're like that. But you know what? What she wants to eat? Oh, it's you. Just open the door. Straight in. Wants to get out of the cold? Open the door. Straight in. Sometimes we're like that with God. God's calling us. We're going, over here, Jeff. You're kind of, oh, you're across the street. There's uh, 74 coyotes over there. Here's our cat. Like, so? You're going to be eaten. So? Going to be run over by the car. So? When you need something, you come running. God doesn't keep tabs on all those times when we run away. He just wants us to, to come home. He's saying, come home. By grace, come home. Grace be with you. All of you is actually what it says. Amen. So be it. You see, when we really look at this passage in its fullness, and we remember the rest of what's been said here, it calls us to mature. 
It calls us to a place of really saying, God, if you would do all of that for me, I need to work harder at making your life a little easier. I need to mature. I need to grow up. And it's really a call, quite frankly, to that death to the old self. Amen? It really is. It's to acknowledge freely and openly, man, I'm God's. I don't belong to this world. I'm not identified by you know, my height or my weight or my ethnicity or anything else. I am alive in Christ. And it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live for Him. Romans chapter 6. Remember in our study there in verse 5, it says, For if we've been united together in His likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be united in His likeness and His resurrection. For knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that that body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We shouldn't be running out in the field every single time God turns us back. And that, of course, metaphorically speaking, isn't even possible. But we make it so because we run from Him. We think we're hiding. He still sees us. It's just like the sheep. Sheep think they've run away. They stick out like sore thumbs. For he who has died has been freed from sin. In Christ Jesus, you died with Him. Your old nature died with Christ on the cross. Old man's been dealt with from God's perspective. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And this is where it really becomes a charge to maturity. Our part's already been done. Jesus did it for you. He died so that you could live. So that I could live. Knowing Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. There's, there's not another need for your own death. That's why I feel sorry for people who feel that they need to crucify themselves for their own sin. You don't. His death was enough. He paid the price. The question is, will you appropriate it and live for him? Death no longer has dominion over him, verse 9 finishes. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Sufficient to set us free to be really sparkly clean sheep. We don't have to be covered up with mud and dirt and cockleburs and unbathed and unshorn. We don't have to live that way. But the life that he lives... To God. And likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, for us, it's appropriating who we really are. I'm alive in Christ. I am God's precious child. I, I am one of His honorable sheep. 
I, I am His glory. When God looks at it's hard to fathom. But when God looks at you, He's praising. When God thinks about you, He's praising. When God ponders who you are, He's thankful. You see, what that does is it makes Christ the beginning and the end. So our scripture declares in the book of Revelation, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He started it. And He who began it is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Our job really is to just stop running. Stop making His job harder. Surrender. Give in. Know where He points instead of where you want to go. When He says something's dangerous, believe Him for it. When He says stay out of there, stay out of there. We know that most of the time by His Word. Sometimes directly by His Spirit. Sometimes through prayer. He's speaking. He wants us to know His will. And so it's really a call for us to just simply mature. Good sheep to the good shepherd. And be the center. He's, he's eternally superior to any other way or truth or life. We can't be depending on our religious activities. It's not how many times you go to church. It's when you're in church, are you there for the right reason? When you're praying, are you there because you want to hear from God? It's not to trust in what we can do, but what He's already done. These are all truths from the book of Hebrews. It's not to fall back into sin. The death of Christ wasn't cheap. It's not tawdry. The most expensive price ever paid for anything ever in the history of the universe was the price paid for you. Think about it. The most expensive price ever paid for anything in the history of the universe was the price paid for you. Praise God. Monumental truth. That's how much He loves you. Even when you're wavering. As the book of Hebrews told us, don't spit on the grace of God. Thumb your nose at that price. Don't in essence tell God it wasn't enough. I need more. I want to stay in this sin-filled life. And finally, just a couple of things. Not to trust in you. Not to trust in me. Not to trust in anything except for God. Because you know what? Everything else will fail you. Everything else will fail you. I don't intend to ever fail my life. I always want to give her my very, very, very best. But I don't always succeed at that, even though I'm trying. But God gave you His very best. And always gives you His very best. 100% of the time. 
so you can trust him. And finally, don't let anything come between you and the Lord. No matter what it is. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your school, not your job, not your community, not your state, not your nation, not this world. The world and everything in it, Scripture declares, is perishing. One day the entire universe is going to be rolled up like a scroll, and God's going to say, I'm done, I'm making a new. Hallelujah. But we who are in Him are eternal as He is. We'll be outside of what He does and be the beneficiaries of what He brings next. And I can't wait. I posted some pictures on Facebook from our trip with the seniors to Kauai. It's unbelievably beautiful there. And there was a bunch of little, we were commenting back and forth, I wonder what heaven looks like. You know what the crazy thing is? There's nothing you've ever even thought of. Your mind, Scripture declares, is incapable of understanding the glories that wait for you in heaven. You can't even think about it. Now, when I look at something, I'm like, it's better than that. It's better than that. It's better than this. Oh. I posted on there, what color is heaven? And if you've ever seen the, the, the greens and the blues on the Nepali coast, right? That's just not even real. To our little finite minds, heaven's not even real. To the nth degree to beyond what you're capable of even understanding. And yet so often we trade the heavenly for the temporal. Don't let anything come between you and God. Make Him first. And He been there. Christ is all sufficient. And He is eternally superior. And worth every moment of your adoration every second of your time, every ounce of your human resources. Trust Him with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we end as this book ends. Lord, rain down Your grace upon us. God, we receive it. We believe it. I want to pray, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that's struggling, maybe they've struggled with their own self-worth. God, maybe they've wondered whether they matter or count. God, maybe they've never even really invited You in. But Lord, Your Word is so specific to as many as received Him and them who gave the power to become the sons of God. Lord, it's just a simple ask. Amen. Be my God. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Amen. Turn ownership over our lives to you. And Lord, for those of us who've done that, God, help us to not spit on that sacrifice. Help us to, to turn, Lord, from the things that are in competition with you. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. Lord, we don't have anything to offer us, as the disciples said. Silver and gold have I none. 
Jesus, you said to them that what I do have, I offer you. Lord, thanks for giving us eternal life. Thanks for being that better sacrifice, that great high priest. Thanks for bringing in that eternal covenant. Thanks for giving us your grace. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you and all God's people's love.